This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Five months after the first confirmed case of coronavirus here in the United States, one of the biggest complaints from our nation's governors, a system in which they are competing with each other for critical supplies like face masks and other personal protection equipment, as well as life-saving devices like ventilators. In fact, some have compared it to, quote, a Game of Thrones between the state capitals. Ed Young is writing about this for The Atlantic magazine. The headline, America's patchwork pandemic is fraying even further. He's joining us on the phone here in Washington. And my first question is why we have the system we have. Yeah, so there are several answers to that. Um, the, the most obvious is that the federal government has really abdicated on much of its responsibility for coordinating the state's response to this pandemic. Obviously, America works um, on a slightly patchwork level anyway, and that states have their own authority to uh, to roll out things like social distancing restrictions and quarantines. And that's very much as it should be. But the federal government does need to coordinate those measures, and it does need to ensure that supplies, for example, aren't choked by local supply chain uh, restrictions uh, and that they go out fairly to the different states according to need. The White House has not done that and its plan for tackling the pandemic is so scarce in detail that it's like a recipe for making cake that just says make cake. And as a result, governors and mayors have had to do their own thing. They've had to um, make decisions on their own without some kind of unifying framework, which is why there is so much variation across the country in when states have closed down, if they did so at all, and then when they opened up again, and then also in how well prepared the different states are in their ability to test for the virus, to trace people who've had contact with people who are infected, to isolate those who are infected. Those enormous variations are much bigger than what would already what would already have been there had the White House actually lived up to its responsibilities and created some kind of coordinated strategy, which it's shocking to say several months in still does not exist. Which is why I suppose if you look at New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, the response in those states quite different from Texas, South Carolina or Georgia. Absolutely. And what we are seeing is that different states are getting very different experiences of this pandemic at different points in time. So New York, New Jersey, which have obviously been really badly hit and borne the brunt of the pandemic so far, are actually subsiding. They seem to have got things under control, whereas other states like, say, North Carolina or Texas are only now starting to feel the brunt of things when the the, cases are still climbing at a point when the states have already reopened. And if you average all of those trends out, what you see at the national level has been this plateau throughout much of April and now a shallow decline in May. But that is masking a lot of variation and the fact that the virus is only now starting to take off and is being becoming increasingly problematic in states where it hadn't really made much of an impact so far, in suburbs, in rural areas, in a lot of hot spots like meatpacking plants and nursing homes and so on. Um, there's this false idea that we are past the first wave now, things are going to get better, uh, maybe we'll have a second wave in the fall. Instead, this patchwork is going to continue to grow and shift throughout the coming months. 
And we should not let ourselves be lulled into a false sense of security by a national trend. There are lots of places where this thing is still really bad and getting worse. So what I hear you saying very clearly is we are not out of the woods. My, we, are, we are nowhere even close to that. Um, in some ways, the U.S. is behaving like the protagonist of a horror movie who lets their guard down thinking that the monster is dead. The monster is not only still alive, but it's actively chewing on parts of the hero's body. And we can't see that because we're looking at these national trends. Um, the, the, we, we are not out of the woods, not by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that... Um, it's really important for all Americans to understand that this problem doesn't just go away. It's not that um, it's not like a hurricane, for example, that hits and then leaves, allowing us a clear moment where we can begin the path of recovery. This is going to continue. This patchwork will be with us for at least the rest of the year, if not next year as well. And we will need to prepare ourselves for that to a much better degree than we currently are. Do you see at some point when we get beyond this pandemic that as a nation we would change the approach, that we would not have what you call a patchwork pandemic? Um, I would really hope so. Um, I, I'm a little bit... I'm a little bit pessimistic that the political will exists to do that. One thing that makes me optimistic is that people in general, despite a lot of the rhetoric you see about reopening, visuals of armed protesters and so on, the American people are strangely unified in this. Um, the vast majority of people support social distancing measures, want to be cautious about reopening, support wearing things like masks. 70 to 80 percent of people agree on these things, which is um, which is almost unheard of for national polling. 70 to 80 percent of Americans do not agree on almost anything, but they agree on much of what needs to be done for this pandemic. And we don't really get a sense of that unity, but it does exist. And I'm hoping what needs to be done now is to channel that unity towards protecting the most vulnerable people in the country. This pandemic cannot be controlled unless we control the fact that it is striking nursing homes really badly, prisons, meatpacking plants, that it is disproportionately affecting Native Americans, black and brown people, people who have been disadvantaged through decades and centuries of oppression and discriminatory policies that have left them in situations where their health is naturally and, and by default worse um, and impoverished even before this pandemic hit. This pandemic is widening the inequalities that have long existed in America and its healthcare system. And unless we fix those equalities now through policies that actively redress them, we are not going to we are not going to be able to sufficiently beat this pandemic, and we certainly won't be prepared for the next one. Let me remind our listeners that we are talking with Ed Young. He covers science issues for The Atlantic, and he writes in his piece, the coronavirus is coursing through different parts of the U.S. in different ways, making the crisis harder to predict, control, or understand. And you write that it is not just one crisis. Why? Um, because different states are experiencing such different trends, because the virus is taking off in some subsiding in others. So really, this is a, a lot of interconnected crises that are all happening at different times and places. 
And that does make the pandemic much harder to understand and to control. Say you're in a state where um, things have um, let's say you're in a state which is still under some form of lockdown as i currently am in the in dc you um you are staying at home all the time but you're you're seeing people in places like georgia going out and about and um re-entering the world that creates this weird cognitive dissonance it, it feels like what is you're, you're hearing on the national news is not reflecting your local reality and i think that is a risk. It means that um, this, these shared collective purpose, this shared collective purpose that we all need now is threatening to fray. Um, like I said, there is a lot of unity among how people are perceiving this pandemic, so um, maybe that won't come to pass. But I think it is a particular peril of this patchwork that one needs to be careful and mindful about. And it seems by all indicators, perhaps because we're now into spring, but that shared sense of purpose in early and mid-March is very different in late May. I think it is hard to get a shared understanding of what the way forward is. Um, Like I said, the vast majority of Americans do support things like social distancing, cautious reopenings. Um, You know, there is there is much less partisanship in um, people's attitudes around the pandemic than either one might have expected and feared or that is being portrayed in a lot of news stories. And yet, I think because there is this discrepancy in how different states have reacted, that creates a situation in which the pandemic is harder to understand. So let me give you an example. If a state has opened up early, let's say Georgia, which did so in late April, If you look at the numbers and see that cases aren't um, rising again, you might be lulled into a false sense of security. You might think, oh, maybe my state didn't need to shut down at all. But that is a logical problem because the disease takes a lot of time to manifest. It takes weeks for people who become infected to show symptoms, then to go into hospital, and then if if everything goes badly to show up in death statistics. There is a long gap between actions and consequences, which makes it difficult to understand what the impacts of our actions are. So if a state is um, showing declining numbers right now in May, that's because of the social distancing actions people took in April. If a state reopens now in May, the consequences of recklessness will only be felt in June. And that is difficult for people to understand. And it becomes incredibly difficult when different states are doing different things at different times. Let me also ask you about those people who have not been directly impacted by the virus itself, certainly feeling the economic impact, the stay at home. But if they say, look, I don't know anyone that has this, how does that affect the mindset of those citizens? Yeah, I think one of the big predictors of how people think and behave during this pandemic is whether they have um, personally been affected by it. Um, and, And by that, I mean personally affected by the disease. Either they have had it or they know friends and family who have had it. And if they if any of those things are true, they tend to take things a lot more seriously and they are more supportive of things like social distancing, um, restrictions, uh, wearing masks and so on. And I think we're going to see a pattern where as the, as the pandemic moves across the country and hits places that had previously not really felt it, so a lot of suburbs, rural areas, um, places in the American heartland, 
we're going to see attitudes in those places shifting too. People who um, previously only heard about the pandemic on the nightly news will now start to hear it from their friends and families, and that is going to change their minds. We've already seen a lot of examples of that, where people whose um, spouses or whose uh, parents have been struck by the pandemic have then acted as kind of informational nodes for their communities. And just one person in a community who has the experience can completely flip the entire group's thinking about the pandemic. I think we will see those dynamics playing out as the disease moves across the country. Let's take a look at some of the states beginning in Arkansas. Governor Asa Hutchison recently appeared on CNN's State of the Union. And on April the 12th, uh, anchor Jake Tapper had asked him, why not let the mayors impose a stay-at-home even if there's not one across the state of Arkansas? Here's that exchange. We want to take the long-term approach to this. And you're not going to win simply by a lockdown because... There's no such thing as a true lockdown where everybody stays at home and does not go out. You're going to have, if we put a shelter in place uh, order today, tomorrow we'd have 700,000 Arkansans that would be going out on the streets going to work. The most important message is that you wear your mask, you do your social distancing, and the people of Arkansas have embraced that. And again, it has given us success. That's the focus that we have, and that way we can be engaged in this over the long term. Ed Young, that from the governor of Arkansas, your reaction? Look, I understand the idea that um, these measures are never going to be imperfect and that you do need trust and cooperation from um, your citizens. But I think putting in firm measures is one way of achieving that, of saying from the, the leaders of your community and your state, we are taking this seriously. This is a thing that you need to do. And I think if you do this softly, softly approach, that message comes across less clearly. Um, now, I fully respect the, the um, responsibilities and rights of state's leaders to, um, to, to know their community and to do things that they feel are appropriate. But this is not a situation where I think um, one can afford to be too gentle. Um, we need people to understand the, the, the threat posed by this pandemic. And, and I think it is unwise to... Um, I think it's unwise to to be too hands off with it. Um, I think it is clear from looking at the pattern across the country and in other countries that imposing social distancing restrictions in a clear and firmly communicated way does help to reduce the spread of this virus. Yes, not everyone is going to comply with that, but more people will than if you do this kind of um, gentle, um, this, this gentle, more lax approach. And as you pointed out earlier in our conversation, this pandemic has really exposed the the economic disparity in our country. And here is the California Governor Gavin Newsom on the issue of homelessness across California, which had been a problem even before this, only to worsen because of what we're dealing with today. The announcement today um, is an announcement uh, that is very near and dear, not only to me, uh, but Mayor Steinberg, who's here, and Karen Larson, who's from the county. It's around the issue of homelessness. Now, we are at a facility here in the Sacramento area uh, that currently has 30 individuals 
that were out on the streets and encampments that were brought into this hotel slash motel uh, just recently to get them off the street to begin the process of basically D, well, D, uh, well, let me back up, to basically decompress, but moreover to address the real vulnerabilities of homelessness uh, in this state and the issues of COVID-19 as it relates to the impact on the homeless. And Ed Young, we're seeing that in states across the country. Yeah, um, we're seeing that um, there are certain parts of these of American society that are sheltered and clustered off from most of the rest of us, and that those are now emerging as incredible hotspots of infection. And it's not just people in homeless shelters. It's people who work in meatpacking plants. It's people who live in nursing homes. It's people in prisons. If you look at the 100 largest clusters um, of infections of COVID-19 in the U.S., all but four are either in prisons, in meatpacking plants, or in nursing homes, or um, in psychiatric and developmental care facilities. So, um, Newsom is right in that, it, that his approach in looking at homeless shelters is correct in that America cannot rely on those people being walled off. Um, those people are connected to the communities around them. They are parts of our cities. They have visitors and staff who work there and then go and live and, and mingle in neighboring towns. Um, unless we control the virus in the most vulnerable populations, in people who often society just ignores, then the pandemic is going to go on, the patchwork is going to intensify, it's going to fray even further. Uh, our, uh, our measures at controlling the pandemic must be targeted towards people who are the most vulnerable and the most marginalized. And of course, all of us now have become accustomed to mask wearing, hand washing, physical distancing. But even back in early March, when this was beginning in the early stages of a national discussion, Governor Larry Hogan was asked about the federal response to testing. And now what we're seeing today, the importance of contact tracing to make sure we know who has the virus. Here's the Maryland governor. I don't, I don't want to finger point. Um, everybody's kind of was caught off guard and it's not just the testing. That's a huge issue. Uh, but we're, it's, it's supplies in general. I mean, it's the capacity of the healthcare system. It's the testing. It's the lack of ventilators. It's the lack of PPEs, these personal uh, protective, uh, you know, uh, equipment that we don't have enough masks and we don't have the right thing. So it's really an overwhelming situation. And uh, the federal government uh, has been, you know, trying to play catch up and deal with this. And, and the governors who are on the front lines are also just uh, grappling with what are all the possible solutions. Ed Young, that was Governor Larry Hogan two and a half months ago here in our C-SPAN radio studios. Where are we today? So there is still a lot of chaos. Um, we are in a slightly better place than we were. But I think a lot of health experts whom I've spoken to feel that not enough progress was made during the months of March and April. And that's a shame considering how costly those months have been for all of us economically and emotionally. You would have hoped that the government would have used that time, that precious time that people bought through our collective actions to steal the rest of the country by ensuring that everyone had the right amount 
amount of tests and medical supplies and that had had a sufficient contact tracing capability. That is not the case and it is certainly not evenly the case. Some states, through their effective leadership, have uh, secured enough tests. They are not in the majority and that is a federal problem. The federal government not only is the only actor in the country that has enough money to ensure that testing and supplies can be ramped up to the degree that's needed, but also the only actor with the um, ability to look across the country, work out where the supply chain choke points are, and ensure that supplies are distributed to the states that actually need them. Instead, they've taken this incredibly hands-off approach. They've silenced the CDC, the best public health agency in the world, by many people's estimation. And they have just led to the situation where states are having to compete against each other. In some cases, they've had to bid against the federal government. Um, you know, gov- some governors have managed to acquire supplies from other countries and then had to guard them by state national guard so that they wouldn't get seized by the feds, which is a ridiculous state of affairs. Um, that's, that's the federal government not only not helping, but actively impeding the states. And if that continues, which it may do, it means that America's response to this pandemic is always going to be less than the sum of its parts rather than more. Well, listen to what Governor Andrew Cuomo said in Albany back on March 31st. Look at the bizarre situation we wind up in. Every state does its own purchasing, So New York is purchasing, California is purchasing, Illinois is purchasing. We're all trying to buy the same commodity, literally the same exact item. So you have 50 states competing to buy the same item. We all wind up bidding up each other and competing against each other, where you now literally will have a company call you up and say, well, California just outbid you. It's like being on eBay with 50 other states bidding on a ventilator. That reinforces your earlier point. It, yeah, it's completely ridiculous. It's such a, it's such a capitalist way of running things, and it just doesn't work in a pandemic. It means that a lot of states um, that have the least amount of money and political influence have um, had have had to cope with the very few supplies, have had to get their own supplies somehow, and have in many cases been forced to reopen early without the backing of a testing and tracing infrastructure that would make them feel confident that they could control the virus um, as it resurges in the future or as it takes off even now. Um, it is no coincidence that many of those states with the least um, political and economic power are also the ones with the greatest health disparities. A lot of them are politically red. A lot of them um, are suffering from this legacy of disinvestment in public health. Uh, and the people who are most going to pay the price for those decisions and that legacy are minority groups and indigenous groups living in those states. And you can see how this long legacy of inequality in the U.S. is only going to be perpetuated and exacerbated by this pandemic, by what is going on, and by the federal abdication of responsibility. And yet, as you point out in your piece, uh, and, and you say, quote, this point cannot be overstated. The pandemic patchwork is existing because the U.S. is a patchwork to its core. 
Yes, I, and I, I think that's exactly right. Um, like I said, the U.S. has this foundation of incredible health inequality, um, dating back to uh, almost to its founding, certainly to the end of the Civil War, uh, where um, health services were pushed away from black communities and continue, um, and that that trend continues to this day. Um, it is manifest in the opposition to the Affordable Care Act, um, in the fact that um, black people right now are disproportionately being infected by and dying from COVID-19. Um, that patchwork is very, very old, and all of these new patchworks to do with the pandemics are mapping on top of that. So if the scientific aspect of this pandemic takes care of itself, and by that I mean we have therapeutics and ultimately have a vaccine, on the other track, the political changes that you've been talking about, do you think the U.S. has the political will to make the changes that we've been hearing from governors, both Democratic and Republican governors across the country? Um, I don't know. Um, I think that is almost a tougher challenge um, to, to get the political will necessary to reduce inequalities seems to me to be harder than actually creating drugs and vaccines. But it's almost more important. Um, measures like paid sick leave, for example, can make a huge difference right now. If you put that in so that everyone has it, it means that people with symptoms don't feel the need to go into work so that they can earn money um, because most, a lot of these essential workers are paid hour to hour, very low wages, can't afford to take time off because they're sick. If they can then you suddenly reduce a lot of transmission among um, people who are incredibly vulnerable right now. That You're going to see immediate benefits from that, and that can be instated right now without needing to wait for a vaccine, without needing to wait for right, the right drugs. Those measures like paid sick leave, hazard pay, health care for all, wide access to health insurance, all of these things are going to be actually, I think, better than a vaccine because a vaccine is only going to protect you against SARS-CoV-2, the new coronavirus. All of these social interventions will not only work against that virus, but against all the many others that could cause pandemics in the future, against the many diseases we currently face, against chronic illnesses, mental health issues, maternal mortality, all the various causes of death that are felt disproportionately across the U.S. And I think those measures, are the, the social ones rather than the biomedical ones, are not being discussed enough, have a huge potential for reducing some of the problems that the U.S. is seeing in COVID-19 and beyond. So what I hear you saying is that this virus has essentially exposed the economic disparities in this country in all 50 states. Absolutely. Economic disparities, racial disparities, so many types of inequality are now visible, or at least I hope they are. When you ask me about whether we have the political will to fix this, it depends on people realizing that these problems exist. Um, and it can sometimes be easy to, to miss them because those of us who have privilege and those of us who are not um, in places where the infections are clustering sometimes just can't see all the stuff that is going on right beneath our noses. And I hope that in talking about this, in understanding patchworks, both old and new, we can appreciate that this virus is not hitting everyone equitably and that unless we fix that, the pandemic will not be brought under control.
You've talked about the long-range problems and potential solutions. Let's talk about the short term because Memorial Day weekend is typically the unofficial start of the summer season. What do you think this summer is going to look like? It's really hard to predict because it not only depends on um, political actions, so decisions about whether states should open or not, uh, but also on people's actions, how trusting they feel, how, how, what kinds of misinformation or information they've internalized. Um, I think what we've seen is that even in states that have reopened early, people have been very reluctant in general to go back and, and, um, and, and rejoin society in the way that they once did. Um, businesses are not suddenly rebounding back to normal, even though they've been allowed to open. And while that is catastrophic for the economy, I'm not sure it's a bad decision um, uh, in terms of how the pandemic is continuing to, to play out. The virus is still out there and we cannot control it just through wishful thinking, just by allowing society to reopen. We will get future surges and we will be back in the same position again. What we need to do now is to double down on the things that we know are effective and that shouldn't be that hard. This, the country, the states, the federal government needs to collaborate on rolling out testing, on making sure that there is enough contact tracing out there. Um, people need to understand messages around wearing masks, which can help, around retaining some degree of physical distance from their neighbours and their friends and families. Like even if places reopen again, rather than flocking into crowded um, indoor spaces or even outdoor spaces to, um, re- to stay in small groups, um, to, to not have huge parties. Like these kinds of things can make a difference and will make a difference if we adhere to them, if we act responsibly. Ed Young is a staff writer. He covers the science beat for theatlantic.com. The essay is available online. America's patchwork pandemic is fraying even further. Joining us here in Washington, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And a reminder, this podcast is available on the web at cspen.org slash podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at C-SPAN Radio. I'm Steve Scully. We thank you for being with us.